Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 23 of For Your Eyes O-Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Cherokee Sentai O-Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today, bud? Not bad, man. Doing pretty well. Finally, it's sunny in Cleveland, which is great. So yes, still, sort of, it's, it's still cold. It's still cold. Um, it's going to be warm. This, this finally... Week. Finally, I think this is finally, uh, this yes. is supposed to be the last cold thing. And now we're finally, it's springtime now. Finally. Yes. Uh, I know listeners, if you are listening to this from a different part of the world or a different time in the future, uh, the, the amount of times that Dave said finally might have seemed like overkill. But from the here and now in this vantage point, let me tell you, uh, if anything, he was being restrained. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, if you thought I said finally too many times, either you're not connected with the weather or you have not seen uh, the return of Rock of the Rock to uh, Monday Night Live Raw, which if you have never seen it, is maybe the greatest theatrical piece of live television I've ever laid my eyes on. <laughs> um, well, Dave, uh, as, as we are finally heading into the what is left of the spring and then into the summer, uh, we're getting into swimsuit season. Uh, which is, you know, just something that's on my mind, because today we are watching episode 23 of Cherokee Sentai Ranger, and it is called The Final Swimsuit. Man, I can't tell you how much I have been looking forward to this episode. I don't, just so that I, 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 why would it be called The Final Swimsuit? That's just such a weird name for an episode that I have been uh, just burning with curiosity to figure out where they would possibly go with this episode. Well, Dave, as always, we have two options on this, which is that it is being extremely literal or it has nothing to do with the episode at all. Yeah, I don't know which I would like. I think I would prefer that it be literal on this one. I just want to know how they're going to work that into the plot of a Super Sentai episode. Uh, Well, we will discover that soon. But before that, Dave... Uh, as always, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So our first star of the week is it's it was Avengers weekend this past weekend. And happy happy we, Avengers weekend to you, Dave. Happy <laughs> Avengers weekend to you. And uh, so we'll do our best not to spoil it for for anyone. Although I will say, this is this was a really weird experience for me yeah, to watch okay. this movie. This is why I wanted to talk about it, because I didn't want to actually talk about the events of the movie at all. So if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, like, do not worry about that. I'm more interested in talking about the existence of this movie and what it was like to go, like, see it. It was very strange. Um, man, I feel like I, there was gonna, I was going to say something and I about... Spoilers, and I feel like even saying something about the spoilers might be a spoiler. I don't even want to tread on that territory, but remind me to say it next week. Because by then you'll have had two weeks, and I feel like if you, you know, that might be on you if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it by then. Yeah. Anyways. So the, okay. The fact that this movie exists, and the scope of it. Oh, by the way, heads up, I did see a news report. It is the biggest opening of any movie ever. I mean, sure. Which, yeah. Of course. Because here's the jam. Like, I remember when I was going to see the Thomas Jane Punisher movie years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, I forget when that came out, but I remember it was when I was in college. Um, I was was going to say, it's a while ago at this point. I'm going to go see that movie, and I really thought, like, man, because this was around the same time. I think this was sort of in between Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3. And at the time, I don't think I really had a good grasp as to, like, because you know how now all of us know like weird details about like what rights different studios own. Like that was not the case yeah. twelve years ago. They were just like right. the superhero yeah, movies. Right? Um, yeah, it's, nobody was paying attention to that. I mean, that's not true. Some very very wealthy people were paying a ton of attention to it, just not you and I. Right. So I remember thinking, like, man, why would they have like they're doing this Punisher movie? 
it would be so great if like Spider-Man was not like in it in it, but like in the background of it. Right, he's driving through New York City, and you just see a shot of Spider just in the background. There he swings, and it's like one little thing, and then he would be done. And it was this like pipe dream I had, like man. And then maybe what if they made these other movies and these other movies, and then eventually they finally brought them all together for Secret Wars. And then, like, that's how we finally got Venom in the Spider-Man movies. Because, of course, you got to remember at the time, the Spider-Man movies were, like, the movies. Yeah, they were. Well, there was the, and the X-Men. The X-Men movies were there, too. Yes, that's true. Um, so I was, that is what I was thinking back in the day. Like, man, like, finally you're going to get Venom after, like, you know, this weird thing that's never, ever going to happen when they can do the Secret Wars. And now what's crazy is they finally did all of that stuff. Except they made it with the Infinity Wars. There is a Venom movie coming out, but it is in no way related. Yeah, that was very strange. I was reading this wild article, and uh, it's not a wild article, but it was talking about the existence of of the Avengers. And it wasn't a complaint, like, let me make, make that clear. But it was saying how bizarre it is that this movie exists. And it's not... I mean, okay, it's, is it an Avengers sequel? Yeah, sort of, but not really. And they were talking about how strange it is that here's this movie, and it's not really a sequel to one particular other movie. It is the, it is the culmination of 10 years or something, and 18 movies were the filmmaking and if you have not seen those other movies, with the possible exception of Ant-Man, this Infinity War doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, honestly, it's barely a movie. Like... It really... I was thinking about it on the way home. This is a clip show. This is a clip show. This is, like, the final clip show. This is, like, the final clip show episode of these 10 years. Right, and again... I mean, it's I, not I, I, a retrospective. I don't want to talk but about... But yeah, it's barely you know, a movie. This the stuff that happens, but yeah, like there's not there's not a lot that like you can infer from just this movie, or maybe there is. I genuinely don't know. I I do know that there was some sort of New York Times opinion article saying like, wow, they just like put these characters in this movie and didn't introduce any of them at all. It's like, well, dude, yeah, they did. They've spent the last decade introducing these characters. Um, like, if you are the person reviewing this movie. You probably should have noticed that at some point over the last decade. Yeah. And it, they were just talking about how, like, it's just this bizarre, giant thing that nobody's ever done before. Like, just the scope of this. If you consider all of this as, in a way, one project that was all leading to the final culmination, which is really... Which Because the next Ant-Man movie and the next Captain Marvel movie are going to be feeding into Avengers Infinity War 2. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a 21-movie cycle that is... Or a 20-movie cycle that is all leading into this one final movie. Just the absolute insanity of the scope of a project of that... It almost boggles the mind. And listen... Am I worried about giant mega corporations taking over the earth and like running our governments? Absolutely. Yes. Obviously. I've seen a bunch of futuristic movies. Clearly I'm concerned about that. However, however, Matt, on the other hand, if this is what it takes to get me to Avengers Infinity War 2, am I more okay with it? I mean, yeah, obviously. Like, bread and circuses, dude. Absolutely. I'm a human. I love bread, <laughs> and I love those circuses. That's what I want. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, like, I, we can't really talk about it much more without actually talking about the movie, which we're not going to do. But um, it was a really good time, uh, and I'm glad that we got a chance to see it. Yeah. I'm glad that we got a chance to see it the other day, and I'm also glad that, like, we just got to, like, have that thing happen in our lifetime. Uh, it's... Very weird, and I'm into it. Dave, yep. what is our second star of the week? So our second star of the week, Matt, is uh, yesterday, Beth and I, we went out to one of our favorite restaurants, which is called Six Flavors, and you've been there. Uh, it's yes. an Indian buffet in, it's in Cleveland, and it's about half an hour away from our house, so it's kind of a hike, but it's worth it. And, you know, I realize this. 
we spend a lot of time talking about things to do in and around Cleveland. Have we ever, con- do we literally have any listeners that are not our immediate friends that live in Cleveland? Do we know uh, that? Yes, I believe there are a few. Okay, right on. Well, this this is for you. We should do like a, a visitor's special, like a little tour guide to Cleveland episode at some point. Anyways, it could be our clip show, Matt, just talking about all the great stuff that's in Cleveland. So anyway, so we're going on to this restaurant. It's out in like... Uh, like or something. Yeah, somewhere in there. And uh and we're walking in and because it, it it's got just big pictures on the front windows of all sorts of different food, right? All sorts of Indian delicious Indian food and it's like come here and you can eat this food, right? And so I'm walking in and there's a big picture of a dessert called glob jamun. Uh, glob jamun. And have you ever had have you ever had these, Matt? Do you know what I'm uh, talking about? No, I have no idea okay. what you're talking about. So a glob jamun is imagine a donut hole. Okay. With me so far? Okay. I'm there. Don't, you, know, you know what a donut hole is, right? You're familiar with? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. So imagine a donut hole, but instead, once you're done frying the donut hole, instead of letting it cool off and then eating it later, you take that donut hole and you just plunk it into a bath of warm sugar syrup. Okay. And then it just kind of sits in there. And it acts like a sponge for this sugar syrup. And then it just, they just, you just eat it warm. And that's glob jamun. It's a, they're they're incredible. Yeah. So I'm walking in. And the reason that we go to this place is it's a buffet. And so we're walking in and I see the picture of the glob jamun. And I turn to Bath and I say, dude, I love glob jamun. Thank goodness they never put out glob jamun on this buffet. I literally, like, I don't, I couldn't handle that. I can't be trusted around buffet levels of glob jamun. Sure. You can already tell where this story is going. We go in to sit down. Uh, Beth goes, like, I sit with the babies. Beth goes up first, and she comes back, and she says, predictably. I have terrible news. I have terrible news. (laughs) And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And she says, I am not kidding you. And sure enough, glob jamun on the buffet. And I managed... To, okay, so here is, I think, the theory of Indian desserts. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, if, if there was, like, a, a, a concept behind them, is that they make them so incredibly sweet that you just kind of don't want more than a little bit. You know? I okay. think that's their theory. Right. I think that's their theory. I'm an American, chuckleheads. I was weaned on Coca-Cola. That means nothing <laughs> to me. <laughs> Like, I can consume incredible amounts of sweets. You don't even know. And I don't eat a lot of sugar anymore. Uh, so right. anyways, you, you I did have manage really to hold adapted myself. the incredible sweets. I was born to it. <laughs> I was born to it. I didn't know healthy food till I was already a man. That's not true. Our mother fed us very healthy food. Um, thanks, Mom. So anyways, I did manage to restrain myself and only eat like six of these glob jamun. And you're thinking to yourself like, oh, six soda holes. That's not so bad. Remember, they're soaked in, soaked in sugar syrup. And I only add a little bit of, like, two other desserts. This place is so good, Matt. Uh, anyways, I just, I felt really good about myself that I only ate that many. Death was like, oh, I couldn't eat anymore. I was like, I definitely could. I will I, go to yes. town on we the rest to of that right pan now. of glob jamun and put myself into a diabetic coma today. But I didn't do that. I felt very good about myself. Um, Congratulations, So anyways, Dave. what? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I managed. I, how incredible is that? I'm boasting to the internet about showing what is like a very reasonable degree of restraint around a food I like. Good for me. Um, Matt, what is our third star of the week? Uh, third star of the week. This is a short one. Um, but last night, a listener of ours, uh, Alex, the same guy who had sent us the uh, letter with those magnets a few weeks ago. Um, he actually oh, yeah. happened. He happened to be in town, and so he hit me up on Twitter, and uh, we went huh. out and, got, and we grabbed a couple of beers, and it was a very nice time. Um, and that so, sounds really cool. So, listeners, I am going to extrapolate this out to the rest of you. Uh, Alex was a super nice guy and fun to hang out with. So, I am now assuming that all of you are super nice and fun to hang out with. So, good for you, you guys. Y'all, y'all did it. <laughs> Thank you for sending. You did it. Thank you for sending a very, uh, a very uh, kind and charming representative to us uh, in this our fair city of Cleveland. I did feel a little badly because, like, it was Saturday night, so a lot of the cool places where, you know, if someone were to come into Cleveland, I would say, oh, you should do this, this, and this. 
like those places are kind of a train wreck on the weekends. Oh yeah, well and, they, you know I think that's probably the case in most cities. So we had to sort of play it by ear, but it was very fun. Um, I don't like I said I don't really have a whole lot on that star, um, but I wanted to. Well, I will say I don't want to like I don't want to like jump into his business, but why was he in? You just happen like people don't happen to be in Cleveland super frequently. That's not. It was like a, a business trip thing. Oh, right on. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, that's it for that. Dave, what is our fourth star of the week? So our fourth star of the week, man, is Beth and I have started watching a new show because we're um, we're old. That's not. I mean, young people start to watch new shows. That's the show that we're watching. It's a uh, it's a British show, and it is called Gardener's World. Okay. And it has been on for it's been on for like thirty seven years. It's been on forever, and there apparently there like used to be one host for it, and then like a couple of years ago they switched over to another host, which was apparently quite the tizzy mm-hmm. in the British gardening world. Ooh, yeah. And so I mean, like, isn't that the most British thing ever to have celebrity? Like the idea of a celebrity gardener is kind of incredible to me. But anyways, we're watching this show, and it's just. It's like a yearly show, right? Like they just do it, but they only do it in the spring, like early spring and into into fall, and then it's off air in the winter because like you're not gardening in the winter. And it's a weekly show and they're just sort of like telling you stuff about gardens and you're like walking through the head, like the presenter. He has a garden that's called Longmeadow. His name is Monty Don and it's called Longmeadow and it's on his like sheep farm or something and it's incredible and it's like four acres worth of beautifully tended garden i hate him and i hate it but i love it you know what i mean you uh-huh. know what i'm saying and so um we're just we're watching all these gardening shows and as a kid our mom really liked gardening and we only did like i didn't like gardening like i helped mom because like i am her son and i love her and oh, also sure. i lived at her like, house and like ate her food yeah, like that. That but is a I thing wasn't that I did. Like, but it was always, it was always because I was, you know, compelled to do it by familial obligation. I never wanted to garden. Yeah, I was never like, ooh, gardening. And now, as I'm getting older, and I have a yard of my own, and I am looking out, and I'm just, you know, this could be such a much more pleasant space. Like I understand, like I get it now. And so now I'm like watching this TV show and trying to like absorb all of this information. And um, man, like British show, British television. We've talked about this before when we were talking about the Great British Bake Off. British television is just so pleasant. At least the stuff of it that I watch. It's so pleasant because it's so chill and there's no... It's not, like, weird camera angles, and nobody is pretending to, like, tell bad jokes. And uh, and everybody's just really relaxed. They're like, hey, welcome. Welcome to the garden. I grow I grow campanulas. That's the name of a flower, <laughs> man. I just learned that. Nice. So uh, it's on, it's, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, and uh, and you can watch it. And it's just this, like, really affable British dude, and he's telling you about plants and, uh, and then you go see, like, all these beautiful gardens. They just sort of walk you through. And they're like, this is how you could do it. And then there's he tells you, he says, this weekend, because it's like, you know, it comes out every week. He says, this weekend, you should be doing, like, X and Y and Z in your garden. Like, based on, like, the time of year. Like, you should be doing whatever. And uh, and I love it, man. It's just, we've been we've been binging Gardener's World now. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the show is called. Um, what is our fifth star of the week? Dave, fifth star of the week is um, the one of the free games on the Xbox Live Gold service this month is Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Ooh, that was a very good game. Which is a very good game that I had never actually played. And so I downloaded this game, and I've been playing it, and Dave, I like it a lot. Here's a thing that occurred to me, though. I think that up until the point of Assassin's Creed, like from Assassin's Creed 1 to Assassin's Creed Syndicate... I think I have now, like, played at least part of all of those games. Mm-hmm. I have never owned one of them. Have you seriously? Yeah, I, I was trying to figure this out because, like, the first couple, you know, I had a roommate. I think all of them. I either had a roommate who had it or I borrowed it from someone who had already played the game. I think the only game that I have missed in doing it like this is that one weird one where... You're like a rogue Templar, and you're up in like the trying to find the Northwest Passage or something. Oh yeah, I never played that one. And was there one in the French Revolution? 
Yeah, there definitely was. Assassin's Creed Unity. It was great. Okay, I never played the French Revolution one. But other than that, I have somehow managed to play, like, every game in this giant series and never spent a, like, single penny on it. And I do not know how I have somehow lucked into it. But I'm very excited to be playing this game now. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good. And I won't tell a lot of jokes about it because I think we told jokes about it when I was playing it. Oh, I'm sure we did. Yeah, but it's that a very, very good game. how long ago this game came out. I think that... Uh, was that the one that you got... Like, right when we started this podcast? Um, yeah, it might... That sounds about right. Um, it's a really, really good game. I think I complained about the the feminine... The female... Evie, I think her name is? I complained about Evie's clothes because assassins are supposed to be, you know, stealthy and just, like, blending in. And everybody else is walking around in, like, giant bustle skirts and corsets. And she's wearing, like, thigh-high leather boots and a duster jacket. <laughs> it's just, like, very obviously does not fit in with anything else that's happening around her. Um, there's a handful of other problems with the game. But aside Dave, from that, I mean, the that's, that is the power of her stealth, even with all those things. It's like the way that Gambit is, like, a super thief, but he wears metal boots and a bright pink shirt. Mm, yeah, and, like, a weird headpiece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like those are things that would make you stand out, but Gambit's so good it doesn't matter. That's it is the same with this, I am sure. Yeah, no, that uh, that obviously that has to be the case because she now, is an course, incredible assassin. Uh, Gambit and Evie would be at odds with each other because she is part of the assassins and he is part of the Thieves Guild. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never, dude. Till the day I die, I will be in love with Chris, Chris Claremont's insane take on accents. Um, anyway, so that is that is just a thing that I've been doing today. Um, but another thing that we can do today, Dave, is watch episode 23 of Cherokee Sentai, o- Cherokee Sentai O-Ranger. Boy, that's, uh, you know, it's a mouthful. Normally I get it right, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take the L on that one. It's fine. Um, we're gonna watch the episode. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. So, we've just finished watching episode 23, and as it turns out, the title is entirely literal. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible, uh, this is a very, 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 just a very, very good episode. Um... <laughs> uh, before we start into it, I do want to note that now that the uh, the combination of the, um, the O-Ranger buster configuration has been created, they have slightly redone the opening sequence to include that. Oh yeah, uh, which is which is fun. Um, okay, so this episode it starts off on the beach, and it's what we see is uh, Shohei and Yuji, and they are they're in the water or they're running out into the water. They're like, "Hooray, summer!" Uh, the, <laughs> the three things that they shout, and these are like, it's kind of hilarious. They're shouting "summer," "the sea," and "youth." <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, sure, like, they are celebrating all three of those things, but the fact that they're just, like, saying them literally is really amazing to me. (laughs) So they run into the water, and they're just, like, goofing around for a second, and then Goro pops up out of the water, and they're freaked out. They, Captain, what are you, jeez, what are you doing, man? (laughs) He says, listen, just because it's a day off, doesn't mean that you need to, you're allowed to relax your military readiness to train. We're going to swim. And the camera pans way out. And he says, to that island over there. And it's a, it's like on the horizon. Yeah, it is miles away. <laughs> so, and so he says, like, listen, like, Captain, I, I appreciate what you're I trying to it. do here. But, like, it's a day off. Like, we're at the beach. Like, come on, man. And you know what the beach is for? And he pulls out binoculars from... Like, I don't know, some, like, otherworldly, like, interdimensional space pocket. Because he certainly had nowhere to carry them and wasn't holding them a second ago. Um, okay, you know, okay, so Matt, allow me to interrupt, if I will, may for a moment. In the um, in the role-playing game Exalted, I may have mm-hmm. mentioned it once or twice before. There is a special, like, magical power that you can get where you can basically, you, like, put on, because, you know, like... You don't want to carry around like a twelve foot broadsword, right? Sure. Who and would? Uh, you know, it takes who would, and it takes time to put on all like the crazy magical armor that you wear. So if you're very good at it, there's a charm you can get where you basically hold all of your stuff, and then you like blink real hard, and it all disappears from off of you, and it gets sent to elsewhere with a capital E. It's just like an indeterminate, non dimensional space. 
that exists elsewhere. But like you can't get to it. It's just someplace else. And uh, and then when you want to, you can sort of like loot and you get all your stuff back immediately. So you could you know kill a dragon or whatever. And so I so apparently the rangers can do that too. It come. Sorry, I was thinking about it because that comes up a lot in this episode. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, we know that they do it with their power bracers, right? Because those just appear and disappear with no with zero to, regard like, continuity. For, yeah. Uh, but apparently, Shohei has extended that ability to also include his pervin binoculars. <laughs> yep. The ones that he pulls out to perv on people. Yeah, so job one for Shohei is he is just he's just checking out ladies. And so he's he's looking around at the beach. He's like, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that either. And he finally sees uh, what he has decided is like the object of his of his active creep. I feel it's more of like a passive creep, right? Mm-hmm. Now he's going to go engage with these ladies. So he and, swims over. And predictably. And they're just sort of like on a float. Like they're yeah. lying on their faces on a float. Yeah. So he swims over and he's like, hey, he says something like, hey, ladies. And they jump up and turn around and they've got very scary masks on. And so he like freaks out and he kind of jumps back in the water. And then they take the masks off, and lo and behold, obviously, because it couldn't be anybody else, it's it's Jory and Momo. Uh, and then here's the amazing thing. Then they proceed the inc- to totally clown on him even further. Um, okay, they do. They absolutely do. They're like, "This was <laughs> this is a terrible plan." I don't know what she thought she were going to accomplish. Also, why are you swimming? The water is standing height here you could just stand up and then he does and not only is it standing height like it comes up to his chest he's it only comes up to like his knees and it is impossible that he would have swum all the way over and not realize that the water was that shallow dave i mean listen it's such is the power of his uh you, you know how when you're watching a cartoon and someone is very hungry and like you know, hungry to the point where like they they look at their friends and their friends start to look like fried chickens or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the smell of food comes from somewhere else, and it literally picks them up and drags them to where the food is. Mm-hmm. That I think is what is going was going on with Shohei here. Like so, car- like Tex Avery Wolf cartoonish was his like active perv mode. It like he did not <laughs> even notice the earth along. around him. Here is the here's the most incredible thing, and I just realized this as we were talking about it, right? Jordy and Momo, they were facing away from Shohei. At no point do they turn back to see him, okay? But when they turn around, they already had the masks on. Which means that like they have they planned for this. This was the plan. They're like, we're going to go out, and we just know that Shohei is at this beach, and we know that he's going to get his creep on, and so when, not if, but when he comes over to creep on us, we will, we will scare him with these masks. Hey, man, listen, they spend a lot of time around Shohei. They know what that dude's about. Yeah, they do. Also, I am just going to say, ladies, love the confidence. Because there's a lot of other women on that beach. And Jury and Momo are like, oh, no. No, he's going to come over and try to creep on us. Like, we are we are number one. Like, the A1 catches on this beach. And so we're going to get it. And we're going to have these masks on. And it's going to be amazing. I mean, hey, I, I'll is. tell you what. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. Okay. So, uh... <laughs> uh okay, where are we? So that's, that's where, like, the titles, like, the episode's title card comes up. Um, we cut so, from here to the moon. Yeah, yes. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. And, and, and on the moon, Prince Bulldont, the child robot with the dog's face, yep. is looking at, like, a fashion magazine, and is like, oh, yeah, look at that, like, fashion babe. I could, I could use me, I could use me some of that stuff there. Um, yes. I don't know what this is supposed to be communicating uh, because he is a robot 
Uh, and I don't know if that his like robot form is meant to like be attracted to human women, but apparently it is today. Well, I don't know, but Bacchus Raff, his dad, is also is also into it because he's right he's right there with Prince Boldo and he says like, Oh ha, ha, yeah, like my boy likes <laughs> Pervanon ladies in the magazine. Great good job. Um I literally, okay, here's the only way I can make sense of this, Matt. Because if you look at Prince Boldo, Prince Boldo looks nothing like a human, okay? Sure. Uh, I mean, he's got, like, arms and legs, but he has a weird dog face. Ember Bacchus Wrath vaguely looks like a human, except he's, like, got a big barrel body and, like, little tiny arms and legs. But he has, like, a vaguely human face. Empress mm-hmm. Hysteria looks pretty human. yeah. Like, the shape of her face is very human. Like, her whole her body form is very human. So, the only thing I can come up with is that Ember Abacus Wrath has a secret love of human ladies that he has never admitted to anybody, but that he himself built Empress Hysteria, like Pygmalion style, to be the perfect empress for him and then married her, and he built her to look like a human lady. Okay, but he's I mean, never I feel told like we're her going that. a yeah. long way for this, but I, I you can know, see uh, it. Listen, Matt, it doesn't... Okay, you know, it sounds like I'm going a really long way. It's uh, like the explanation for it is very long, but I'm so used to this at this point. Like, the muscle memory is there. Like, that thought process happened for me very quickly. <laughs> um, so anyways, he's looking He's looking at this, and he's like, oh, yeah. And so is Emperor Bacchus Wrath. And uh, Empress Hysteria comes in, and she's like, what are you doing? You know, like... And he basically is like, I only read it for the articles, mom. Uh, <laughs> so she, she snatches the magazine away and starts tearing it up. And she has a very odd, the thing that she is upset about here seems kind of off base. Um, or at least it is not what I was expecting. Because the thing that is bothering her so much is that the humans in this magazine are wearing fancy clothes. Yes. And because apparently humans always feel the need to wear fancy cover themselves up with fancy clothes um because like they need to hide the the shame of their horrible meat bodies yeah he says they are she says they are empty inside which is big talk coming from somebody who is a robot and probably is actually mostly empty space inside but she says humans are empty inside and so they must adorn their outside and i hate them for it because and it, okay, it does kind of make sense because when you think about it, none of the none of the Bara Empire people wear clothes. Yeah, I guess that's just like, like it she looks, looks like, like they are, but that yeah, is their robot body. Exactly. So she, they're just chilling naked all the time. Uh, so, anyways, so she says, "I will use that against them. Like I will use their clothes against them, and that is how I will destroy the human, the O Rangers, and then by extension, all of humanity." I assume. All yes. Right. So, cut back down to the beach, and it has been a long day at the beach, uh, and the O-Rangers are like, man, we're sort of, we're beat, we're tired, uh, let's grab a shower to shower all this, like, ocean and sand off of ourselves, and then get changed and head out and grab some food somewhere. Like, cool. Yeah, like, like this, this will be great. They split up, they go into their, like, separate uh, shower rooms, and uh, we meet our monster for the meet week, uh, Bara Clothes. Yeah, and I, tr- like... He's got a very weird look. I mean, I'm having trouble even kind of parsing how to explain it. Um, yeah, normally I can equate it to something, but he just looks like a weird robot monster. Like, there's kind of nothing else to it. He's got yeah, something like an angler, fishy, sort of like light on a stick sticking out of the top of his head. Okay, yeah, he does. And then his face is on sort of like a long, protruding neck kind of thing. Um yeah, I don't know. Just look it up if you really care. He's like a weird robot monster. Yeah, like any, any points that this dude gets at the end of the episode is not really going to be based on his look. Um, so while the dudes are showering, he sort of sneaks up to the door of their uh, changing room, says metallic wave, and like zaps all of the clothes that are like hanging on a hook waiting to be put on after the guys are done with their showers. Yes. Oh, Okay, Matt, real quickly, sorry, let me interrupt you for a moment. I am looking at the concept art for Bara Clothes. And when you see the concept art, this all of a sudden makes a lot more sense. He's supposed to be like um, 
like a, a caterpillar. He's like a crazy caterpillar monster. And so, like, because they weave silk, right? Like, he's supposed to be like a silkworm monster is the idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, it's just, it's weird to say, but if you look at the concept art, like, it's going to make a lot more sense. Uh, so anyways, that's his, that's his jam. Which, Jack, when you think about it, is very clever. Um, so he does this thing called Metallic Wave, and he, he like, he, he shoots an energy beam at the guy's clothes, Okay. Yeah, but they don't change. No, they're no. just clothes. Like the guys get out of their showers and they're putting on their clothes, and as they do, like they sort of like stop and have a weird look on their face. But then the camera cuts away to bar clothes trying to do the same thing over in the women's changing room. But as he yeah. sort of like sneaks up to the women, uh, they are like, "Hey, there is like a big evil monster trying to like creep on us in the changing room. Let's go kick him in the face." Yeah, it's really, really great because Momo, like, you can see her flank the shoulders up and she, like, starts to take, like, the shoulder strap of her of her bathing suit off and she immediately stops and, like, turns around and looks. She's looking in the total opposite direction. So whatever is, she just has, like, a sixth sense about, like, being perved on. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't catch that it's a monster until they run outside. But I really dig it because he is he's totally able to get the guys. Because I will just tell you, is it, like it totally makes sense to me that guys would not have developed and like the world is a horrifying place. Sorry, ladies. Uh, yeah. But that guys would not have necessarily developed, a, have to have developed a sixth sense about being creeped on. And the ladies are just immediately like, someone is looking weird at me. Like, what's going on? I don't even have to see it. I know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so they, like, jump out of the changing room and, like, are ready to go, like, kung fu fight this evil monster. So they run out and they're about to start fighting Bara clothes. And they're like, dude, first of all, we are going to fight you because you're a Bara monster, Baranoi monster. But also, way to be a real creep about, like, checking us out in the changing room and borrow clothes. He's <laughs> like, yeah, don't flatter yourselves. Like, I wasn't interested. I like a woman with real curves. And he mimes on himself, like, gigantic breasts. Like, gigantic like, considering cartoon the, breasts. Yeah, like, even th- that he is a very large monster, they would be ridiculously huge. Um which is pretty, just both A, funny, and B, like, pretty cold, Barra clothes. Um, so then they start fighting. And, which is also a weird thing to say, because mo- the actresses, I don't know the names, but Momo and Jury are very attractive ladies. Yeah. It's like the primary requirement, as we've talked about, like, the primary requirements for being on these shows are, are attractive and sick flips. Like, that's basically what you need. Yeah, and they got both of those in spades. Yeah, they're uh, both very pretty ladies, and they're both very good at flips. So I'm not sure what Barra closes. Well, I mean, he's into cartoonishly huge breasts, I guess. Yeah. And also, he's a bad guy. Uh, you know, e- even if you were an evil robot from space, you should not body shame people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, so they start fighting, and uh, they, they fight for a second. It's, it's going fine. And then the guys show up. Yeah, like Momo gets knocked into the water, and the guys go over to sort of help her up. And she says, oh, good, you're all here. Let's transform and beat the crap out of this monster. But then suddenly, the guys all get evil looks on their faces. Yeah. And, and, like, their clothing transforms from, like, their regular beach clothing into, like, a, sort of like a metal armor uniform thing. Yeah, they've got, like, sort of metallic lines painted on their face. And Bara Clothes says, oh, yeah, like... Gotcha. I hit their clothes with metallic waves, which allows me to control their clothes and therefore all of their movements. And so I control them. And the guys seem to be really like, it seems as though they have just like turned evil now, which I think is sort of a bummer because I think it would have been way cooler if he was just controlling their clothes and they did not have. Like, they spent the whole time being like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, like, while they were trying to punch Momo. You yeah, see what I'm saying? That would be cool, but that is not what we get. We get, they just go straight evil. Uh, Momo also gets zapped with the metallic wave, and she turns evil, and then they all turn on Jury and are grabbing her. Uh, they yes. manage to get her power bracers away from her, but before she can get zapped with the metallic wave, she, like, fights free of the other four, like, does a sick flip over 
bar clothes heads and just runs up like into the hills into the woods away from them yeah she does uh, as she's running away or trying to get them she's like no guys we are soldiers with iron will which i thought was a great line and uh yeah and so she escapes into into the hills and then we get uh i think maybe the best scene that i've seen in this entire show uh, are you talking about how because Jerry it's... goes full Rambo? Yes, I am. Uh, so she, <laughs> so we started the boots up, and we get like a slow pan up Jerry, and she has a okay. So she ran into the woods wearing a lime green swimsuit, like a lime mm-hmm. green one piece swimsuit. She has since acquired socks, combat boots, a headband, a combat knife several grenades a string of ammunition and what appears to be a 50 caliber browning automatic rifle yeah it was either that or it's an m60 i'm not sure but it's a big belt fed machine it's a very very large gun Um, and she just like she just has it here's okay I have a theory about this, and it makes it even better, which is that Jury is so hardcore that she just has, like, Rambo stashes all over the country. And, like, if anything ever goes bad, she just, like, knows where to go to pick up her gear. Yep. No, uh, I love that. Uh, she's I also got a... Gra- like, we don't see it that. here. She does also have a grappling hook with her. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's another thing I was going to mention, because we're going to see that later... And she just had it. That bothers me a tiny bit more unless she also has a grappling hook stash someplace else. I'd believe it. Well, okay. I'm just like, because even if she did have a stash, she doesn't have a grappling hook now. And not that it's like an immodest bathing suit, but there's definitely not place to hide a grappling hook and like a big chank of rope on it. Okay. So, um... She she then also has she has like a little internal monologue while she's posing with this with all of this gear, and she's sort of thinking back to borrowed clothes and she she thinks about the antenna that's on his forehead and she says, "Ooh, ooh, that must be it. Like that's his flashing red button. If I can destroy that, then then I we should be good at least as far as the other rangers go, and then we can sort of move on from there." Yeah, so as she's, like, finishing with her preparations, Shohei jumps out of the uh, woods, and he has, like, a big, like, rope weapon himself. So he sort of, like, gets it around her and is, like, pulling her in with this rope. Yeah, and as he's doing that, a bunch of Barra soldiers arrive, and she's sort of, like, fighting with Shohei. She's like, no, don't do this. You've got to stop. Like, come back to yourself. And she pulls the knife out and she's like, Shohei, I'm so sorry. And then the bar soldiers are gearing up to do some sort of attack on her. And she manages, she like cuts the rope that Shohei has used to restrain her and kind of dives out of the way just in time so that Shohei gets blasted. And it's like an energy net that they shoot out that then coalesces into a physical net, which is a very cool attack. It is uh, a cool attack. We haven't seen them do that in a while. Yeah. And so she... uh, Um, so, so she escapes, uh, so he is sort of, is sort of wrapped up, uh, and then she just sort of like runs off in a direction into the oh, woods. Wait, Dave, Dave, I'm sorry. Before she runs away, she does pick up that machine gun and empty it into the crowd oh. of Barra soldiers. <laughs> I forgot about that because I, I do, this has got to be a callback because I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a scene where it's just like a bunch of empty shells landing at her feet, which I'm pretty certain is a scene in Rambo. Yeah, I have not seen Rambo in a very long time, and I think the only time I've ever seen it was, like, the TV version on TBS or something. Um, but, yeah, this whole thing has is very much, like, you feel like they're doing a thing with it. Yeah, did you know? I did not know this, because I've actually never seen the first Rambo. I've only ever seen, like, Rambo Returns, Rambo Harder, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently, the first Rambo movie is actually, like a pretty sympathetic look at like the horrors of war and like the PTSD that John Rambo experiences on returning home after like engaging in this incredible conflict with other living, breathing human beings. Yeah. You know, that's, that is, I think the thing that people forget about those, uh, Sylvester Stallone movies is that those series would eventually become like way over the top and ridiculous. 
Uh, sometimes in glorious ways, like in the case of uh, Rocky IV. But, like, the first Rocky movie and the first Rambo movie are, like, real movies. Yeah. Uh, which I have I kind of want to go back and watch Rambo because I've never seen it. Uh, so, anyways. Okay, so enough about Stallone. Um, I mean, there's never really enough about him, but for now. I was going to say. Um, so, Jerry, before she runs off, just, like, hits Shohei in the face with the butt of her rifle and knocks him out. Uh, but apparently he's out of ammo, so she just drops the rifle and ro- runs into the woods, uh, where she's then attacked by Yuji. Yuji has, like, a staff oh, right. thing. Uh, and they're they're fighting for a while. Um, there's sort of a bit down by a river, um, and then she hops up into a tree. And oh, that bit by the river is really cool. It is. It's it's another one of those like fun camera things where the the action is really happening, sort of like in the background, and the foreground is just like watching this river going by. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yuji gets up into. I'm sorry, Jerry gets up into a tree, has this grappling hook. Manages to like throw it down, wrap it around Yuji's legs, and then she hops out of the tree and has set herself up on sort of like a pulley thing. So she, as she's falling, she's dragging Yuji up and like kicks him right in the stomach as he goes past. He falls down and lands on his head and falls unconscious. Dude, it's, uh, yeah, Jury is. Jury is 100% my favorite O-Ranger. Like, okay. I like Goro a lot, but Jury is the business. Yeah, like, when it comes so, down um, to stuff like this, like, th- she has no equal. Yeah, so as uh, as she's doing this, she runs into a little boy who's just <laughs> in the woods. He's, like, rustling in some tall grass. She does almost stab him. <laughs> <laughs> like she runs over with the knife and it's like oh okay no you're a you're a helpless child i won't i won't kill you with this knife hello helpless child what is what seems to be the problem and what like, has happened why are you here uh his parents have both been attacked by a strange creature we can only assume by our clothes although we yeah. never know for sure because we never see his parents no yeah uh and she said and he says i'm not sure what's going on and also my legs my legs aren't working yeah, I so, think that might be a weird translation because, like, later on, he can kind of move around. I think he's just, like, hurt his, his leg as he was running away. Yeah, like, it's got to be because we do see him walk. And so she says, well, just, like, I'll carry you. So she kind of carries him piggyback style for a little while. And then she sets him down and she says, hey, you need to go hide. Like, something's up. Like, I am... My like, combat sense is tingling. Yeah, like, I'm basically, like, we're about to go. And then uh, Momo jumps out. Momo, Momo jumps out and she's got twin swords. Yeah, I don't know where. I guess she was given these swords as part of her metallic wave clothing outfit. Oh, dude, uh, Yuji is going to have like a full blown pole arm in five minutes. Like, I'm not even worried about these twin swords. So she's got these twin swords, and uh, all Jury has is like the combat knife that we mentioned earlier. And so she's sort of like, it's a cool fight scene because um, Jury is having to fight very like defensively because obviously Momo has two swords and she's got a combat knife right and um, she doesn't actually want to murder momo right yeah no i just uh i really only mentioned it we could probably start stop talking about it at some point just because how impressed i am at the fight sequences in this show like they're just really well thought out and and well choreographed they're super cool well you know who else loves watching this fight sequence dave is uh emperor bacchus wrath uh because when yeah. we, we, we cut up to the moon and the entire like royal court up there is just watching it all on their viewing screen like yes o-ranger versus o-ranger this is beautiful like, first they're going to kill each other, and then they're going to kill the world, which I don't know how they're going to do once they've killed each other. But we'll figure it out one step at a time. We will get there when we come to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, Jerry, uh, Jerry beats really, Momo. I, I forget exactly yeah. how it happens, but, you know. But she does apologize. She's, like, she's apologizing as she's doing it, which is a beautiful moment. Um, They, they sort of, they have to keep on the run, and so they... There, what happens? I think Jerry and the kids stop off by a river to like get some water or wash their faiths or something. And Barak Close is sort of sneaking behind them. And he's like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to zap um, O-Yellow, but the kid is in the way. So I can't actually like hit her with my beam. Yeah, which seems... I mean, I don't know, dude. Just zap the kid and then tell him to move out of the way, but whatever. Well, in any case, uh, this this stalemate has ended. 
when Goro jumps out of the river, he has just been like underwater lurking this whole time. Oh, yeah. I also want to say she has been at this riverside for a minute. Uh, so either Goro is, well, I don't know. We saw earlier in the episode, he also managed to surprise uh, Yuji and Shohei. So maybe Goro could just hold his breath for a super long time. Dude, Goro was just about to, like, on his day off, swim a couple of miles away to an abandoned island, like, just to maintain his military readiness. I'm sure that dude can swim very well. <laughs> so... <laughs> um... So anyway, anyway, like so that they um, fight. She's kind of running away, and she's got the kid on her back again, and she's fighting Goro. Yeah. And she says to Goro, "Captain, please stop this. You're the strongest person I know." To which I say, "That can't be true, because you know yourself." And listen, right now you have just like you have fought off every member of your team. Um, with, like, a combat knife and some stuff that you had left in the woods while you have a little kid on your back, um, like, fighting defensively, you are so much stronger than all of the other people on this team. <laughs> so, anyways, so she's, like, running away. She's got this kid. Um, Goro slashes at her with whatever weapon he has. I don't remember what. And he cuts open her bathing suit, but she does not even have a scratch underneath, which seems just, like, impossible. Hey, man. Uh, listen, so, anyway. These, these are, these well, are superheroes. No, listen, okay. I'm just saying, they could have just put, like, a tiny line of fake blood down. It wouldn't have been difficult. It's a close shave, so, my um, friend. So the, so, the, yeah. so, the little kid is there, and it turns out she's, like, they're fighting at a cliffside, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, Bam. Turns out the little kid is also a clothes monster. Not a clothes, he's a human being, but he has also been zapped with, like, metallic weight. Yeah, and so he was already, like, riding her back, you know, like, she was giving him a piggyback. And so he just starts, like, choking her out, and the both of them just fall backwards off of this cliff. Yeah, it's a great moment. But thankfully, he's, like, into water. Oh, yeah, 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 she's there totally fine. Um, And so she climbs out, she climbs out of the water. And we see that she's got the kid and he's like knocked out, but she has saved him, which is uh, cool. Mm -hmm. And she's she's monologuing internally. And she says, this is unforgivable. You've corrupted this little boy. But like, I will avenge him. And so she sneaks into the dressing room where another woman is taking a shower. Like she's also like showering to, to get rid of the beach stuff, I guess. And she says, I'm super sorry. She, to herself, she says this. She says, I'm very sorry, but, like, for justice, I must borrow these clothes. And so she borrows this woman's clothes. So she, she runs back out. And at this point, the rest of the other O-Rangers have, like, regained consciousness. And they are now all together with Bara clothes trying to fight Jury. Yeah. So, sorry. When Jury comes out, she is wearing sort of like a, um, it's like a coverall onesie, just like a beach, like a short beach cover garment thing yeah okay but you can see that she is still wearing her swimsuit underneath all right mm -hmm. so they're sort of fighting her she manages to kind of fight them all off but she leaves herself open and bara clothes zaps her with metallic wave yes but as he does this she's like oh crap no and she sort of like throws off this this outer garment and she's just in her swimsuit again yeah, but then so like, she, she's she's still open, right? Like she hasn't managed to get behind cover. So yeah. Bard Close just zaps her again and says, "Well, now now you're stuck because you can't take your swimsuit off because that's the last thing that you have on. That is your final swimsuit. You would be naked. So first of all, the final swimsuit. Second of all, you would be naked. I also do love the assumption that in order to defeat this monster, jury like jury would be." unwilling to be naked in order to fight this monster to save the world. So <laughs> I mean, you know, she has, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a sense of propriety. There are cameras around. Yeah. So anyways, so he zaps her again and she kind of gives him a smile. And then we see her green swimsuit flying through the air. So we see a sort of like shot of her from the shoulders up and then it sort of like pans around. And clearly the ga a gag is that, is did she actually do it? Is she really naked? No, obviously she's not naked. 
but she is wearing a bikini. She has stolen a bikini as well as this other garment. And uh, I think just the idea that Barra Close is so surprised that she would think to have on a second swimsuit underneath a final right. swimsuit. Like that throws him off enough that she, and plus like, I think just the, the shock of seeing a pretty woman in a bikini has like stunned him for a moment. Yeah. It's great because he does say like, you've got a really nice body, which, Hey, Barra Close, I, I do believe that you were mocking her for exactly the opposite of that. Like literally 15 minutes ago. So, Figure yourself out. Hey, man, he was... I th- I think that uh, now that he is confronted with the truth, uh, he knows. He knows what he did wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, hey, just... I don't, wasn't there another episode where Jury was the only one who did not get... No, 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 no. She pretended to be mind control. That's what it was. Yes. Um. So anyways, I just love that she has defeated him with the power of layered clothing. Uh, That's just kind of an incredible... It's sensible and tactical, Dave. Yeah. Uh, So anyways, so once she she dives at him and she's still got her combat knife and she, like, cuts the antenna. And then once that happens, the other rangers are free to, you know, they're they're back to normal. Right. They're, They're like weird armor clothes become regular clothes again. Yeah. So, uh, so they henchin. And they're like, oh, jury, thank goodness. And she, they give her back her power bracelet. And then they all they all henshin. Uh She unleashes a special attack, which we've never seen before, called Light Speed Slash Illusion, which is a great name. And uh, it's sort of like a Chun-Li super kick. Like she just kicks a whole bunch of times and then it all hits you at once, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she does. And then a, they, yeah, she follows up with a super attack with her Chorokuti Batons. Yes. And then they do... What was it? Dynamite? Like super dynamite attack? Choriki dynamite, dynamite attack? attack? It's Okay, so as we have seen, like everyone kind of has an ability where they Sonic the Hedgehog-esque turn into like a giant ball of energy and throw themselves at the monster. Choriki dynamite attack is they all do it at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So they do that. And uh, then they there's an explosion and then they come out of it and they all do a very, very good pose. It's super dramatic. So then they, uh, like, Barra Close goes down, he goes giant, uh, you know, like, Asha Koja shows up, he goes giant, they summon uh, the Choriki Mobiles, they create O-Robo and they fight. There is a really fun moment in this fight where Barra, because now that I realize that he's supposed to be like a silkworm, this makes a lot more sense, because he basically just shoots Barra Close with a lot, or he shoots O-Robo with a bunch of silly string. Yeah, I do just have that in my notes as the silly string shock. Yeah, but again, when you consider that he's supposed to be a silkworm, all of a sudden it makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then he electrifies it, and I'm not quite sure how that's supposed to work, but whatever. Well, that's why it's the silly string shock in my notes. Oh, yeah, nice. Okay. So he does that, and then um, they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And uh, Goro's like, call Red Puncher. That's what we do. So they call Red Puncher, and Barnett Clothes seems super surprised about the appearance of Red Puncher, which... That's just, that's on you, dude. That's just bad planning. You know they have another giant robot. I mean, maybe he just hasn't been paying attention for the last couple of weeks. Like, there's a briefing every morning on, like, you know, in the Machine Empire. And oh, well, actually, he just never uh, pays attention. She, uh, Empress, Empress Hysteria, did say she was going to, she was going to defeat them with the power of their clothes. Maybe Barra Clothes is just a new monster. Like, he just, he literally was built yesterday. And she's like, just go fight these guys. And she forgot to tell him about Red Puncher because he, again, is very surprised. So Red Puncher arrives and, like, he saves the day. He, like, punches Barra Close very hard and then he does his, like, Gatling fist. And then they merge into O-Robo Blaster Ultimate Cannon mode. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, It's Buster. It's Buster Ah, mode. Ah, thank you. Yeah, Buster mode. And then they shoot him with, with very, very large guns. And I would, they're shoulder mounted guns. And I always want, they never do it. But O-Robo just sort of stands there. He's, like, standing at attention with these giant shoulder cannons, and they're shooting. And I always really want him to sort of, like, take a step back and, like, brace himself. You know what I mean? Like, with his legs spread out, and then it would it would just be a more dynamic pose. And it would also make sense if you're firing giant energy cannons from your shoulders, so there would be some sort of recoil. And he doesn't. And it just sort of bums me out every time. 
I mean, he's a very strong robot, Dave. He doesn't need to Yeah, no, himself. listen, I, got, I recognize. He's got that leg power. I recognize. That's like a hyper-specific thing to be, like, bummed out about. But, like, guys, we've watched a lot of Super Sentai, and eventually your brain just learns to, like, tune out a lot of the big beats that are happening because they're always the same. And you find yourself focusing on the fact that, like, oh, Robo should really be bracing his legs a little bit more. It's just, it's a symptom of what we are doing to ourselves here. Oh, yeah. I mean, during whenever the buster mode shows up, and I do like the buster mode, uh, I spend all of the time that it's on the screen thinking its big attack is just... Okay, so Red Puncher does an attack where he turns his gut arms into Gatling cannons and shoots the dude. But then yes, he does. later, he combines with uh, Oranger Robo, and his arms become cannons and shoot the dude. Like, it's the exact same attack coming from the exact same part of the same robot, but somehow, now that he's, like, riding O-Robo, it is a much more devastating attack, and I don't know why that is. Oh, you know, I, I assumed it's because, like, he's using the same cannons, but now he is also plugged into O-Robo's power source. Maybe. Like, he's just using O-Robo as, like, a battery. Yeah, basically. I mean, like, O-Robo doesn't appear to be, like, a real dynamic part of that equation. He's he's just a gun stand at that point. So. Yeah. Anyway, so that, uh, if it's not obvious, that takes care of um, Baraclose, who explodes and dies. As he is exploding yeah. and dying, he does say, I love you, O-Yellow. Yeah. He's really turned Which around puts on a this. very... Yeah, that puts a real interesting dynamic on this whole episode. Well, also, so, though, it, it does mean that they don't have to feel bad about killing him, because now that he's expressed the capacity for love, if he were to ever have gone back to the moon, Bacchus Roth would have killed him himself. Yeah, I just would have destroyed him anyways. So um, we go from there, and Juri, we see a quick shot of the clothes that she borrowed back where she took them from. Mm-hmm. And there's a little note, which I assume just says, like, thanks for everything, helped save the world. But the, <laughs> this, the woman who, from whom she borrowed those is deeply dedicated to that shower because she's still in there. Yeah. And, and in between, there has been a building-sized robot fight complete with, like, artillery cannons. <laughs> and this one was like, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe she tried to run away, looked outside, saw that her clothes were gone, and just decided to stay in the shower and hope for the best. I mean, you know, maybe it's one of those things. She had the conditioner in her hair. She knew she had to wait at least, like, ten minutes for it to set properly. And she just wasn't going anywhere. So, <laughs> so we go outside. And uh, Jordy has gotten a new bathing suit. Hooray. And she says, hey, you know, guys, you, um, you guys were pretty big jerks. And you definitely tried to kill me. And they're like, oh, my. They're like, Jordy. We're so sorry. Like, we just, we're so sorry. You know, they're like falling over themselves. And she says, I'm just kidding. I know you guys couldn't control yourselves. Let's have a day at the beach. <laughs> and then they run back into the beach and are shouting about youth in the summer. Now, here is one thing that I did not remember to mention at the beginning of this episode. Is that well, I don't think we knew about this at the beginning of the episode because Goro's in the water the whole time. Oh, no, sorry. There's, there is something that I was going to mention earlier that I forgot to, but I, I mentioned it again oh, okay. now because we see it again. Um, so they sorry, must the thing have... that I'm talking about, the thing I was talking about is that Goro is wearing like a real intense Speedo. Back to you, Matt. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, he absolutely is. Um, no, the thing I was going to mention is that they must have scheduled the like re- filming of this episode before they checked the weather that day. Because they're meant to be enjoying, like, a nice summer day at the beach. And it is the gloomiest day possible. Yeah. <laughs> like, the sky <laughs> well, is gray. Obviously... The water is gray. There's, like, stuff floating in it. Like, this is not a fun, cool, shiny day at the beach. I live next yeah, well... to Lake Erie. And there are way better days for me to go to the beach than what they're doing here. <laughs> um, and then that is... That's the end of that episode. But Matt, of course... It's not the end of our episode. No, because first we need to determine uh, how Baraclos fares in the Creature Royale. So I really like, I like Baraclos. He's another sort of like mind controlling monster. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of looking at, what was it? Bara, Bara Sharpshooter, Bara Scorpion, something like that. Yeah, the one who had like the, the poison darts and the robot monocle. Yeah. 
Yeah, what, what I really appreciated about this guy is that he is... I feel like a lot of the episodes we've had recently, the monsters haven't actually been characters. They've just sort of been like, you know, just monsters. And in this one, he's like an actual dude with like a person, like, you know, a terrible personality, but a personality and like a plan. Right. So that is um, Barra Darts. And Barra Darts actually comes in at spot number 40, right around Saragami, the Ninja Monkey, and Bimbogami, the, the, the guy who turns everything into rags. Yeah, I don't like this guy that much. No, I'm uh, I'm with you. I was just sort of, you know, he's another mind controlly. He's another mind controlly guy. Um, so I'm um, I'm looking down as I continue. You know, man, I I I feel a little bad, and this sounds silly that all of these, a lot of these monsters are going into the bottom half. But I'm looking at the top half of the monsters, and it's like at the bottom of the top half, if that makes any sense, is Lieutenant Shiryu. Uh, the Pachinko Master, who I really like, Shiraniri, the the Petty Petty Ragman, yeah, and then we're I, into like Aunt Bazooka and the Shooting Doji Brothers. Yeah, so I mean, the thing is that like we like most of these monsters. Like, so if it ends up on the near the bottom of the list, like that doesn't mean we don't like it. It just means there's a lot of better ones. Now, the, where I'm looking is another monster that like made people act against their nature by changing their clothes, and that is the Snake Armor. Oh, yeah. Well, and then actually below that is the purse monk who also would like dunk on people's heads and put that weird mask on them. Yeah, but I don't and think then he then was also able to control everything. them. Was he not? I thought he did. Anyways, so um, yeah, I think the snake armor is actually a pretty good, pretty good spot to start. Um, I would say, well, it's tough because I think snake armor had a kind of an overall cooler look. But this yeah. was a very, very good episode. Admittedly, mostly for jury. I mean, Snake Armor episode was also super good. Remember, there were like the two people who had come from the other dimension who could turn anything into a weapon. Oh yeah, man, that was super cool. But this is a great jury episode. Like that was a great episode for people who were like like characters that were kind of only in this episode. Uh, this one is a very good episode, like a showcase episode for Jury, which is something we haven't gotten in a little while and something I could always use more of. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say just above Snake Armor is uh, Karakasa, who is another Umbrella monster, and then into Nurikabe, which is the wall monster uh, from Conquer Ranger. And I actually think I, I kind of dig... I think I dig uh, Bara clothes more than either of them. Okay, well, just above that are two other O-Ranger monsters, Bara Vanish and Bara Kandama. I would say I think I like him better than Bara Vanish, but not as much as Bara Kandama. Okay, I think that's a pretty good spot. All right, man. Well, that's where he goes in at our new spot number 75. Right on. Uh, and then that is going to do it for another episode of For Your Eyes, O-Ranger. Before we finish up the show, I'd like to remind you all you can email us at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter, we are at supersentibros. If you like the show, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you find the show, as that is what's going to help new people find it. Um, the Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. To find any of the other great Retrograde Orbit Radio shows, you can do so at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.